All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back for another Boca podcast episode uh, where we are helping photographers build sustainable businesses. And I am here with a brand new guest today uh, for a very interesting topic, actually, Elizabeth Kramer. And Elizabeth, I have to already laugh at myself because we just before I hit the record button, we were talking about how we overuse the word interesting and I just used the word. Oh, very easy to do. <laughs> it, it really is easy to do. Sometimes I listen to podcasts uh, and hosts more specifically and, and I hear the response to guests and you can tell they're not actually in it. So they'll say a word like that's interesting and it's so mm-hmm. flat and hollow and I, that's bothersome to me. I want to throw as much actual positive energy that's genuine into the conversation. So just everybody listening in know that I'm at least making that effort. But thank you so much for hanging out with us today. You're a, just to give a little bit of context to what I just said, you're a former journalist turned wedding planner, wedding coordinator. And we're going to, I guess, harken back to your journalist days and leverage Let's your strength as a, as a writer and talk about how we can improve our writing abilities as photography business owners. We're going to get to that in just a little bit. But just to to launch the conversation, as a wedding coordinator, I'm curious, one of the biggest principles maybe that you have found effective in your wedding, do you prefer wedding planning or wedding coordinating business? Oh, it's so nice you ask. Um, It's one of those weird things. I talk to clients all the time because I never even knew that this was a thing people did, right? I knew wedding planner because I knew Jennifer Lopez. I'm a good millennial. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, but I didn't know coordinator. So um, I use day of coordinator in my business. Um, I'm going to be 100% honest. I do that just because I didn't know any better when I started three years ago. And now I have good search rank on that term. And it's kind of most what I am. Okay. But I also do more than most day of coordinators. So it doesn't really matter to me. I'm trying personally to get really comfortable with wedding planner because honestly, that's what people know. And I plan weddings. So that makes me a wedding planner. I like coordinator just because I think I had baggage around like, well, I'm not that type of person that has a headset and a, you know, a little like binder and I'm going to boss you around. That's a wedding planner. But I think that's my own baggage. So call me whatever you like. I plan weddings. I, coordinate <laughs> weddings. I manage weddings. It's all the same. Well, I'm even looking at, at your website. And by the way, for everybody listening in, if you go to Elizabeth with an S, Elizabeth Kramer, K-R-A-M-E-R.com, you can see Elizabeth's website and the subtext right underneath your name, Day of Wedding Coordinator, pretty this uh, pretty simple and straightforward brand position statement, which we'll get to as a topic mm-hmm. here in just a second. But in your experience as a coordinator, what mm-hmm. has been one of the principles that's made a biggest difference when it comes to providing a great client experience? I think with a client experience, I always think of my husband and myself. So um, I recently got married. Yes, I was a wedding planner planning her own wedding. Um, But, you know, my husband and I have been together long before my business. And whenever I started working with couples, I just thought about how we would shop, how we would make choices, the language we would look for, the tools we would use. And I use that throughout my business. And I think that has really influenced how I work with clients. It's definitely influenced how I find clients. So I feel like I'm always just like, what would we do? How, How would we... How would we buy the service? And so that really impacts all elements of my work. So really just empathy at the, at the end of the day is yeah. what you're referencing. <laughs> That's a much nicer way to say it. Yeah, empathy. <laughs> <laughs> what did that look like practically, though? I mean, how do you infuse, hey, I had this experience or this feeling into the way that you have yeah. a conversation with your client or work with them on the day of the wedding? Well, two ways. The, I think probably the most like nuts and bolts way is reviews. You know, from the very beginning of my business, um, I made it, even when I was just doing this as like, total side gig doing on the weekends, you know, was doing it for very mercenary reasons. Um, I just always focused on reviews. So in the early days, that was Yelp. Now it's Yelp and Google. And just like really actively when I worked with a with a vendor that I liked after every wedding, I would write them a review, I'd let them know. And then I would ask, you know, 
would you return the favor? And do the same, of course, with, with wedding guests who I connected with and with any couples I worked with. But through that, really built it up. And, and the reason I did that was because I know that whatever we buy as a couple, we look at reviews, you know, whether it's where we're going to go out to eat or, you know, a product that we're buying. I mean, it's, it's how we shop. And so I figured if we were a couple planning a wedding, which we weren't when I started my business, we were just a couple living together, you know, enjoying our wild times, um, <laughs> that I, we would use that. We, we would not hire someone who didn't have at least a couple decent reviews from mm. total strangers on the internet. So, you know, it's weird that we trust those reviews so much, but I know I do. So that was a big thing. And then kind of the other way that it has really impacted my business is just, you know, I mean, different people would probably tell you different things as far as their interaction with me, but um, I really just try and not, hopefully this is okay to say here, but I really try not to bullshit people. Um, I feel that what I do is important. I think I bring value to the world. I think that I help people, which is my ultimate goal. But um, I also am not an open heart surgeon and I'm not working on some crazy, amazing vaccine or the cure for cancer. Like what I'm doing is important, but it, you know, it, it's not something that I ever want to get an ego about. And I definitely never want to get an ego about it that hurts couples, you know, mm. and I think it's very easy in this industry to put your own needs ahead of people who really at the end of the day, their, their mission hopefully is very simple. They just want to marry each other yeah. and they want to express their love in that way. And our society, marriage is a really clear way to express love. It's not the only way, but it's a clear way to do it. And, uh, you know, that's what they want. And so I just really try and be honest with anybody I interact with. Like, this is how I'll help. Do you need a wedding planner? You know, it obviously it helps, right? Anytime you can hire help, it helps. But can you do it yourself? Can we find other ways to do it? Can we find it ways that make more sense for your budget? Sure. And I always provide those resources. So, you know, that's why I have a huge gallery of like free resources. I shouldn't say huge. It's like 10 things, but it feels huge to me. Um, I've like every tool I ever use, I make available for free. It's just an open Google doc or a blog post. People can use it. And, you know, of course, kind of the, the thing that's not said there is like, wouldn't it be easier if someone else did this for you? But, you know, for a lot of couples, that doesn't make sense for them. So I want to give them the tools that they can do it themselves because they can, you know, as long as they get married, they're married to someone they love. They've won at wedding planning. I believe that fundamentally. Well, and whether it's wedding planning or photography, I mean, there's so much, speaking of ego, there's so much conversation mm-hmm. about the importance of what we do. Mm-hmm. And yet at the end yeah. of the day, the reality is not everybody makes enough money to just like fork out cash here and there for this extra service and that extra thing and this high-end photographer and that high-end coordinator. And so I love that you're, again, focused on adding value. I think that says a lot about you. And to this point about ego, how have you seen this play out from other coordinators or photographers? Uh, just mm-hmm. as an example of maybe how we shouldn't be behaving. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's so hard because, I mean, ego sneaks in in so many things, right? Sure. And you have to have some amount of ego to run your own business. Right. Because if you didn't, who would ever do this, right? You know, I mean, you have to you have to have some kind of ego to be like, I can do this. People, I have something. I'm, I'm worth people buying. You know, a, a very topical thing that immediately came to mind is, um, you know, Right now, we're kind of in the middle of a lot of coronavirus stuff, and that obviously is impacting a lot of industries. It's really impacting my vendor community. And so I've seen, maybe it's not ego, maybe it's just people are scared, but I've seen a lot of different people, particularly wedding planners who are like, you know, making Instagram posts about how like, you know, I'm not raising my rates for 2021. And it's like, oh, you're not profiteering. 
you know, I mean, you're not spiking your prices because couples are scared and they're not sure what to do. So I found that really interesting. Hmm. And I, you know, I feel a little two faced talking about it because I'm not, I'm not going toe to toe with those people. I'm not blowing up their comments with like, this is horrible. And I understand why they're saying that. I think they're trying to be like, look, I'm here for you. I want to help. But I read that a lot as like, you know, I'm not going to do this. It's the right thing. It's like, obviously it's the right thing to do not to jack up your prices because (laughs) people are scared and might move their wedding to 2021. Like that. I know we have businesses to run, but also come on now, you know, it's not something to sell yourself. No. Yeah. Well, there's a difference between adding value and virtue signaling. There's a distinct Mm -hmm. difference between Mm -hmm. the two. And, and yeah, you kind of see that going on if, if you jump on Facebook and mm-hmm. I, I, I'm just glad that you highlighted. And I think we'll leave that alone. It speaks for itself. But <laughs> yeah, at the yeah, end of the yeah. day, the focus should be an adding value, which naturally translates to a better experience for our mm-hmm. clients. And I, I've been encouraged by this idea even recently, just to, especially as you pointed out, in light of the coronavirus and, and maybe the extra time that we have right now in our day-to-day schedule, mm-hmm. instead of sitting around worrying and wondering what's going to happen mm-hmm. next, at the very least, the thing that we can control is how we spend our time. And with that time, hopefully we're putting even more effort into ways that we can add value to our clients now or potential clients in the future, uh, to our business when we come out of this on the other side, whenever that happens. Mm -hmm. That enables us to, to, I mean, for any of us who like to feel some type of control, it enables Mm -hmm. us to feel some type of control because it's what we can have an impact on now, which beautifully can also affect our future. So um, let's totally. set aside ego. Let's focus on adding value. I, I love, I mean, we could just, we could cut the podcast off right there and, and, and we would have added enough value, I think already, but oh. I do want to keep going um, because yes. something we talk about here a lot on the podcast is brand position. We already mm-hmm. alluded to yours or at least how it's stated on, on your website, but I know that there mm-hmm. are a lot of so-called wedding planner planners or day of coordinators. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of competition, very similar to the photography industry. How do you create distinction between your business and the other planners or coordinators? Well, the, my elevator pitch for myself, and it lands with different audiences differently, is I'm a wedding planner who's tearing down the wedding industrial complex. That obviously is not like if I was to talk to a marketing pro, they'd probably be like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> um, so I know it's not like textbook, great brand proposition, but the way that I view myself is I'm someone who has, for whatever reason, a set of skills. I can organize, I can communicate, I can effectively plan really big or small, intricate intimate events, right? I can do all, all that stuff. For some reason, these are the skills that I was given. What I want to do is beyond helping couples achieve whatever wedding they want and to ultimately celebrate their love in whatever way they want. I want to create an industry where ideally they don't even need me, you know, that they can, they don't have to suffer all of what I call the toxic isms of our industry. Interesting. Because I find again and again, um, the couples are just, they're worn down by that. You know, I mean, when I started my business, I thought I would be so cool. I thought I'd differentiate myself from the competition and do interviews with my couples. Um, it was kind of my version of the newlywed game. And I was like, okay. oh, look at me, award-winning journalist. You know, I'll interview one partner on their own and then I'll interview the other partner on their own. And then I'll use that and I'll create copy for a lot of couples have wedding websites. They can put it on their wedding website. Isn't this novel? Well, you know, couples were kind of like, all right, cool, nice. I don't think anyone ever hired me for that. But I really (laughs) liked it because I got to talk to them. But what I noticed, particularly when I was talking to straight couples, was I would talk to the bride and she would say things like, I'm so, I feel so behind. I feel like I'm missing something. I feel like I just can't do it right. And these are terms that I feel as a feminist and as just a person in the world 
that if someone said that to me, if a woman said that to me about her job or her relationship or any other element of her life, those would be red flags. Those would be like, something is wrong here. Something is broken here. And I heard it again and again. Didn't matter the size of the wedding, the budget of the wedding, didn't matter who she was or what her relationship was like. And so that has really clued me in that something was broken here and it wasn't the couple. Hmm. And so I think what I bring with my work is I try and help those couple access that place of love and joy through my work as a planner, but I'm much more fired up about changing this whole industry so that future couples, whoever that might be, I may not even live to see the day, but you know, hopefully couples within my lifetime don't have to worry about some of the things that couples I work with now have to worry about. And if you were to highlight one of those things, what, what comes to mind? Oh, I mean, like I said, there's so many toxic isms in the wedding industry. Um, there's sexism, for sure. If anyone who's ever worked with a straight couple, how many times have, you know, you've been to a venue walkthrough or you've been on an email thread and for some reason, only the bride gets the messages. Mm. For some reason, her, you know, male identifying partner has dropped off the CC line again and again. I was just at a walkthrough a couple of weeks ago. The, the person who ran the venue would only look at the bride. First off, where else in the world does that ever happen? Mm. <laughs> you know, you're buying a car, buying a house. It's always the opposite yeah. as a straight couple. So, yeah, I mean, you see that all the time. You see it with ageism. You know, how many times do we see photos of young, happy, healthy people who get married? You know, and those people do get married. I'm fortunate to have been one of them. But a lot of people who aren't that also get married and they deserve to be recognized. So, you know, I mean, in, in all the ways that all the isms, uh, isms of, our, of our society, I feel like they really manifest in weddings. And I think, unfortunately, they're not paid attention to in this industry because it's just a wedding. You know, it's just, it's just fun. What's the big deal? You know, and as someone who does them, there's a lot to pay attention to here. And there's a lot of ways we can help couples better navigate this space. Well, and speaking of you, you mentioned to me before we got started, you have a podcast called the Teardown Podcast. <laughs> I do my itty bitty baby podcast. <laughs> well, and, and you, your position statement, if, if you will, is in, in the yeah. bio there. It says a podcast for wedding vendors who've had enough. So I'm assuming this is what you're alluding to. Yes. Yes. Like I said, like my whole wedding industrial complex thing, I, I based on my audience, I kind of, I can go full 10, I can get on that soapbox and preach all day. I try and keep it around a three or four for general <laughs> polite conversation. Yeah. Um, but yes, the teardown is where I allowed myself to really creep up higher, eight, eight nine levels, sometimes okay. 10. And my whole concept for it, because you know I'm a journalist by trade and, and probably always will be in some part of me, is I just love to talk to people about cool things they're doing. Mm. And I'm very fortunate that I know a lot of people who are doing really cool shit in the wedding industry. You know, I That particular first season was mainly Portland, Oregon vendors, because that's where I'm based. But since then, I've connected with a ton of people all over the country who are doing really cool things to celebrate love and to help couples get married and just like make some positive change in the world. And so um, the podcast is for vendors. I did it that way because I found that there are a million podcasts for couples. And when I say couples, you, I think everyone knows I mean straight white brides because that seems to be the only people who listen to podcasts about weddings. Who knew? Because there's definitely not a lot of options for anybody else. Uh, but I focused on vendors. So I really wanted vendors to feel like you're not alone. You're not isolated. There are other people doing this work. This work is hard. This work often does not make as much money as other work. But we're here. We're doing cool things. And we want to connect with you. Uh, and then I ended with an actual couple who I helped get married last year. Um, and that was just super fun because they're just a great couple. But also it was fun just to talk about like, hey, we lived it. We survived it. This is what we hired. This is what we looked for. This is how we made our choices. This is, in their experience, they actually had fired their first photographer. So they talked about like 
why they made that choice, how difficult that choice was. So overall, super cool, fun project, and I hope to do it again. Well, and we're going to make sure to to link to it in the show notes. If everybody listening in goes to Boca, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com, Haley puts together show notes for each episode. We'll make sure to link to the podcast there. And of course, your Instagram as well. Um, Thanks, Haley. I appreciate that. (laughs) Shout out to the Teardown (laughs) Podcast. Um, Talk to me about time. I mean, as a business owner and relatively newlywed, managing, and I know you've been in this relationship for a while, but juggling a business and a relationship, and then of course, any other many elements of of your life can be a bit challenging. Is there a particular Mm -hmm. tip, technique, trick of sorts for time management that you can recommend to our listeners? Well, I'm a total weirdo in that I love a type of computer game called a time management game. I'm hopeful that there are people listening who are like, hell yeah, Diner Dash. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I've always loved to manage time. Really? So I, I'm very weird in that way, which is probably why I never thought I'd be a wedding planner. But if you look at like the, the Venn diagram of skills that I had to bring to the world, they overlap a lot with journalism and turns out they overlap a lot with wedding planners. So, um, you know, how do I manage time? Um, I'm pretty regimented, you know, I'm definitely an early riser. I definitely try and stick to a regular routine in the morning. Um, I have found just personally that I have the most active brain power in the morning. And so trying to make the most of being self-employed without necessarily a boss pounding down my cubicle, I really try and maximize that. So what that means is I try and do my creative projects in the morning. Yes, I've been working on a book. And so I know that like the first you know, I can get like a solid 90 minutes on a good day and yeah. just trying to, to listen to my body, listen to my mind in that way, listen to my energy in that way, which I know sounds all very hippy dippy, but like is also really kind of true. Um, it just is. Yeah. Yeah, it just is. And then I try and give myself a break. It's so easy when you're self-employed. And in my case, I work from home, uh, which I know is not novel in this moment in time, but used to be quite novel. <laughs> you, uh, you know, you got to have breaks. You got to step away. You have to mm. eat. You have to drink water. You know, I mean, it's like really basic stuff, but super easy to forget when you're in those email minds. And then, you know, in the afternoon, I tend to do a lot more logistical stuff. I try, I tend to do a lot more of like the email management, the client management, um, I'm a little odd in that I really try not to check my email after hours, which for me is about 5, maybe 6 p.m. And I really try not to check on the weekends just because I found that I'm the type of person that I like to fix things and I like to react to things. Uh, but I find that I'm often doing that without my best, brain, my best brain power at those times of day. So I find that I'm more efficient. I get more done, even if it's delayed. And sometimes I tell vendors that and they're like, oh, my God, really? Do you lose leads? Do people get mad? Do clients get upset? And I, I never had. You know, I mean, if there's a day delay, I've never had anyone get mad at me about that. Maybe I've just been lucky, but um, I think it's because when I do reply, I have actually something to say. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a loaded topic in and of itself. Too. We, we were <laughs> yeah. talking about this. How do you effectively communicate without saying too many words? Because it, it, there is oh. what, what was the phrase that you used before we started recording that the void? Like oh, just screaming into the void, screaming into the AKA void, writing anything. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, these days there's so much content out there. How do you make oh. sure that, that what you're sharing is valuable? That could be a oh, little topic in and of itself. Well, it's why, I mean, you very kindly asked if I have an Instagram tied to my business. It's the reason that I don't. I have an Instagram tied to the podcast, but mm. that was a really hard choice for me. And I actually talked to, um, we had a woman on the teardown, um, kind of a bonus episode because, you know, all podcasts have bonus episodes. <laughs> uh, I wanted to be real legit, but Jamie Thrower, Studio 13 Photography, she does fantastic, fantastic work. And um, she has a huge Instagram following, um, huge to me. I think it's like 11, 12,000 people. And uh, so I was talking to her about that. And I was just like, you know, I really resisted going on Instagram and I know that hurts my business. Like it's where wedding vendors are and it's where a lot of people shop for wedding vendors. And in my line of work, planners are very aesthetic minded. So like, you know, they're, 
there's stuff that I'm not showing that I probably could convert into revenue. But I have never, I resisted it for so long because I didn't feel like I had anything to add to the conversation. Hmm. And having come from journalism, having come from a place where, you know, it wasn't unrealistic for me to write 10, 500 word articles and just feed, feed content into the machine. I just didn't want to do that if I was going to work for myself, you know? So I've since, you know, warmed up and, and realized that that was kind of a black and white stance to take on things. And I have the the Instagram for the podcast. I found it really relevant and helpful. It's a great way to connect with people. Um, but that's like an ongoing conversation I have with myself about like, is this adding value um, or is this just more just fodder, you know? It's funny that you mentioned black and white. I very much relate to this because I have a tendency toward kind of all mm-hmm. or nothing. And, and mm-hmm. I'm 40 and I'm still learning this, you know, I mean, the, the yeah. significance of being in the so-called gray area. But at the end of the day, to our earlier conversations, you know, adding value, if we're in some way, even if it's a, a little piece at a time, adding value. Um, I think there's something to be said for that. I, I mm-hmm. very much feel your pain. I don't, the last thing that I want to do is add to the noise. Mm-hmm. But if I can in some way add value to somebody's life, even if it's just one or two people, then mm-hmm. I feel like I'm doing something right. Mm-hmm. And and so I'm I'm glad that I'm glad that you've and especially not not just started a podcast that can add value in various ways, but ultimately that comes from a place of dare I say passion. I mean this cliche word that we throw <laughs> no, around please. so much. I mean- for better or worse, that's what I'm trying to do. We'll see if it works. <laughs> um, I have to use this, the, our conversation around time as kind of a segue just to mention one of our sponsors for the Boca podcast is, is Milu, milu.com, M-I-I-L-U.com. Uh, this is an app that makes it really easy, not only for photographers, but actually coordinators as well to create and manage timelines and shot lists. But I want to ask you when it comes to, we're talking about managing time and more specifically timelines on a wedding day. What have mm-hmm. you found is the biggest challenge in doing so and putting together an effective timeline that is enabling to the client versus kind of constricting, you know, they, have, they function in these five or 10 minute increments that can be kind of mind numbing. Oh, you know, the funniest thing about a timeline is I think that sometimes people think, um, and again, this kind of comes with the wedding planner baggage. Um, I think they think that I carry a whistle around my neck and I'm going to call time if we're running off schedule. <laughs> I think they think I'm just that type A. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty type A. I mean, you have to be, I feel like to, you don't have to be, but I think it helps a little bit in this sure. work because you're doing so many details and you got to be so like logged into the logistics. But I really have always seen a timeline as like a tool. It is a reference guide. And anybody who has, I mean, ever been to a wedding, but definitely worked a wedding, knows that those things are fluid, man. They like, they're human events, you know, and whether it's, you know, three people in an elopement or, you know, 250 people in a ballroom, it's going to morph and change. And, you know, I, I, one of the reasons I love my job so much is because I am always challenging myself to adapt to that. How do I ride that wave? Because that is not my natural comfort zone. My natural comfort zone is, you know, like I said, I follow a very strict schedule, you know, doing my thing in the morning, doing my thing in the afternoon. That is where I'm happy. So I love the challenge of like, you know what? Sure. We don't know where the hell these chairs are going to go after the ceremony. So that just added 15 minutes. And now we're, oh my God, photos. And we got to remember sunset and golden hour. You know, I love that challenge. <laughs> yeah. Golden hour is great. I very much support golden hour. It can be a real killer for a wedding, winter wedding timeline. Let me tell you, I've had some very good conversations with photographers about the light. The mm. light is important. I understand. So what's the, you know, what are my challenges with the timeline? You know, just making sure that people know that it will change, you know, and I run a pretty tight ship. If anything, I've had to like, walk back how how much I stick to my own timeline because I was running ceremonies on like the actual ceremony start time and I began to realize that like 
people don't actually believe that's going to happen. So they arrive late to weddings. I was like, okay, so maybe I need to give myself a little buffer there. I need to like loosen up a little bit, but I try and be really collaborative too. Like I always respect photographers when they talk to me about the timings they need, because you all, you have a very hard job and I don't think people appreciate that. I think they think, oh, you're taking pretty photos. It's super hard and it's super (laughs) hard on a wedding day. Um, So I always try and be in active communication with any photographer I work with about like, how does this look to you? This is kind of, this is the parameters we have. This is what we're working with. Um, And I love the interactions best when the photographer wants to be collaborative in that way. Mm. I've definitely worked with people that are like, you know, I think of a few people who are like, oh my God, they're not doing a first look. They're not seeing each other to the ceremony. That's horrible. And it's like, okay, not our wedding. Let's walk it back. Okay. Not our choice. Do I love a first look? Hell yeah. Because it kind of can take away a lot of the like crazy stuff that happens right after a ceremony. But if they don't want to do it, they don't want to do it. And that's important. It's how they feel on the wedding day. Um, That doesn't happen very often. I think a lot of vendors I work with are in it for that. Like, well, how do we, we're all rowing in the same direction. How do we get there together? So I try and create timelines that are flexible, collaborative, um, and not just like in my own mind, the perfect wedding day, because they're all different. They're all the same set of puzzle pieces handed in some kind of crazy jigsaw box. And you got to kind of make the best out of it. Um, but the good thing is that, you know, at the end of the day, you're celebrating a really happy thing. So, you know, the chances are in your favor that it's going to work out just fine, no matter what the timeline says. Yeah. You got to learn to go with the flow, right? You gotta, you gotta, I mean, that's why we're all gathered here today, right? We're not gathered here today to, you know, blow whistles and worry about 30 seconds or a quarter of an hour or whatever. We're here to (laughs) just experience and have fun and celebrate things that, you know, are really hard to find in day-to-day life. Joy, you know, love, Mm. celebration, community. I mean, we talk about these words, but a wedding really makes them happen in my experience. What do you outsource or delegate in your business? Or is is there something that you're doing that with right now? Because this is a point of conversation quite a bit on the podcast. I own a a company, Photographer's Edit, Mm -hmm. um, for post-production that centers around custom post-production. Which I think is a brilliant idea, by the way. Oh, yeah? I I was like, this is... This is so smart. I know so many photojournalists who would eat this up. But anyway, that's a different topic. <laughs> well, and have you found value in that process of delegating or outsourcing in your own business? You know, I saw that question and I hate to admit it. I saw it and my first thought was, I don't delegate. I do it all myself, which is like so not true. It takes a village, right? I am a one woman show in the sense that it's just me. I do hire a second coordinator when I work two venue weddings. That's a question I get a lot, but yes, it's usually just me. The thing that is most topical that I'm trying to delegate is like we were talking about before we started recording was I'm an audio tech because I never want to listen to my own voice again, working on my podcast. (laughs) But you know, that, that was also hard. I mean, it's definitely a challenge with me running my own business to not do it all. You know, I know that's not a unique thing. So I saw that question and you asked that question and I'm just kind of like, I need to do more of that. I need to sit down and actually figure out what I can delegate because I think right now, it's not that I'm doing too much, but I think there are probably things that other people could do better. And this is a very active conversation in my head right now because I'm in a place with my business that I get a lot of leads that I can't turn into paying clients. I don't say that to brag. It's actually a horrible problem to have. But I have thought for a long time, do I need to hire somebody? Do I need to hire a second coordinator? Like that's how a lot of planners scale their businesses. And I'm sure you can relate of just, you know, you hire a bunch of mini, mini use that go out and then you can do three, four or five weddings on a weekend. And that's where you're talking about, okay, this is like a big time business. And I've really hesitated to do that because I... Again, it's going to sound like I'm just so great, but it's not that. It's just that like I do things for weddings that I don't even understand why I do them. And so can I expect someone who, let's be honest, I probably couldn't pay that much and I would really want to offer benefits, but it's never going to be a super great benefits package. 
can I expect them to stand in the middle of a field at nine o'clock at night and wash dishes with a garden hose? I don't even know why the hell I did that. <laughs> why would I expect someone who's on my payroll to do that? So um, this question of delegation, I want to do it. I really do. I just don't know how yet effectively. So people have suggestions or books. I'm all ears. <laughs> shoot, shoot Elizabeth <laughs> messages at her Instagram That's account. Right. Teardown podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and my email is all over my website too. It's just my name at elizabethkramer.com. So yeah, hit me up. I, I, lo- I love suggestions. So. It can be a really challenging thing. I'm, I mean, honestly, and of course, the irony is I own an editing company that's about delegation or outsourcing, and yet I'm mm-hmm. still finding a challenge in it. Working, for example, with Haley. Shout out to Haley who's listening as she's editing I this podcast Haley. now. Haley, where are you? <laughs> I think Elizabeth needs Haley too. That's um, right. But you know, the the process of learning how to communicate what it is that you want. We're we're used to being in our own head, communicating with ourselves. We make sense yeah. to ourselves at least part of the time. And trying to take that and, and translate it to language that somebody else who processes the world in a different way understands effectively enough for them to go do that thing at least, you know, 75, 80% the way that we would. That's a big mm-hmm. challenge. Um, it's a learning curve. And, and I'll be the first to say I'm still working on it. So I yeah. empathize with you very much, Elizabeth. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. Sometimes I'm like, what is this thing inside of me, this black hole of giving that I just feel like I have to fill with helping people? You know, like kind I kind of wish it wasn't there sometimes because particularly right now, like a lot of my clients are understandably really scared and really not sure what to do. There's a lot of anxiety. I I mean, and for the first time, you know, in my professional career, I don't have a plan. You know, I can't go to a couple and be like, I know how to plan a wedding in a pandemic. I don't know how to do this, you know? And I've been just like driving myself insane, driving my husband insane, driving our cat insane, like just trying to like, how do I help these people? You know, how do I help? And, uh, you know, I would love if I could have like a whole board of people that I could talk to about that. But like you said, everybody does it their own way. And so I'm just always trying to find ways to support people in the way that they're helping other people, because I don't have it figured out. And Lord knows, I wish I did. But, um, you know, I think we all if we all do our part, that has to add up eventually. It has to, right? Well, and you mentioned to me ahead of time, a a resource or two that you had put together on your Mm -hmm. blog. Can you just kind of give that a shout out for a second here? We'll make sure to link to that in the show notes, too. Yes. When Corona came to town um, in my part of the world in Portland, Oregon, and, you know, like I, I want to acknowledge this has been a reality for millions of people long before it came to my home. But as I think is is what happens, it, it comes to your city and you're like, oh, my God, this is a big deal. So the first thing I decided to do, too, was I just kind of defaulted to like a resource article. So I was being inundated with like really solid resources, um, both for couples, so people actively planning a wedding and also for vendors. Um, and I was just like, I need a place to put all of these things. So I started with wedding vendors because I'm really interested in how to better support that particular community. I think we're a super fascinating community, both with people who do really cool things. Um, we're small business owners. We're often like small outfits. We, we work in like a really kind of weird sector of the service industry. So, you know, I was like, how do I support this community? So I started creating a resource article of like different articles that were going up um, in my city, like certain resources that are being here. Out of that came a Zoom call. So, you know, we're for the foreseeable future, we're doing these calls every Tuesday. It's just like a really easy place for people to hang. I'm going to have some guest speakers come on, you know, kind of things like that. Um, So it started with the vendor one. And then I had a section of it that was like all for like for your couples. Like if you have couples that are reaching out to you, things you can point them to. And that was like another thousand words. So I decided just to break that into its own article. So I have just a resource link of 
everything I've encountered that's helpful for couples. So it's a lot of links to places like Offbeat Bride or Catalyst Wedco, um, a practical wedding, as well as kind of a mix of like uh, email templates, both um, there's a planner out of New York, Meg, Hotch- Meg Hotchkiss of, I think it's Lover Events, LVR Events. She created some really good templates for couples to send and planners to um, really any vendor, I suppose, to other vendors and to guests. I added to that and created one if you straight up cancel your wedding and also just like an email or text template of like, we don't know what the hell we're doing, you know, please use this, you know? So um, anyway, those are like living documents that I actually was updating right before our call because it's, everything's changing so much in real time. So yeah. So those are my two articles. Hopefully they're not relevant by the time people listen to this. I hope everyone's like lol coronavirus, but if they are, they'll be there and they'll be as updated as, as I humanly can make them. Well, I mean, even as you're talking, I'm even that much more compelled to see how we can get this out there. So we may actually bump this episode up and try to push it out sooner than later, because it sounds like an incredible set of resources. And we'll make sure to put those in the show notes. Everybody listening in again, bocapodcast.com. I do have one more question before we jump into your some of your advice on writing, um, sure. a, which it would have been easy to c- kind of just segue into that. But I am curious, though, I mean, as a writer, what is it that you read? And more specifically, is there a self-help or business book that mm-hmm. you have found particularly compelling in the last two or three years? And actually, I'm, I'm really interested now that I think about it, because a lot of business books, and for that matter, self-help books, you have like 80% fluff and then 20% mm-hmm actual, you know, helpful and practical, actionable mm-hmm. information. You're probably mm-hmm. even more critical than I am being a writer. Oh, I, I'm well. so curious to hear what comes to mind. Like what's been a really great book for you? You know, it's, it's kind of like, uh, I don't want to say personality flaw, but something I'm really trying to work on, um, that I am a nonfiction writer who really doesn't like to read nonfiction. Okay. Um, and I used to say it was because, oh my gosh, you know, it's too close to home. But you know what? There's some really good nonfiction books out there, particularly when you're an entrepreneur. So ones that I've used, one that comes to mind right away, Mike Michalowicz, Profit First. Um, I haven't read his other stuff, but he, um, the Profit First book, my husband actually recommended it. And I was like, oh, okay, you know. But, you know, it's like, okay, this is about money and having a lot of questions about money in my business. Um, and that was super, super helpful. So I recommend that. That's not really self-help as much as like, just like practical information, you know, um, how to pay yourself, which I think, you know, obviously is important. I have to interject because, I mean, the reality is, I think a lot of photographers, I know it was one of my biggest weaknesses yeah. was financial management as, as a photographer yeah. business owner. We, we don't think about it. I don't know if it's not that we don't think about finances enough. We just don't think mm-hmm. about it in a, in a helpful way or in a practical mm-hmm. way. We're not necessarily mm-hmm. proactive about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the notion that we might actually be thinking about profit first is just... um, No, it's important. Oh my gosh. It's how the world works. You know, as much as I'm up here being like, wedding industrial complex, help love, you know, couples matter. I got to make money too. So, you know, that's the perpetual struggle. And right now it seems really real of like, how do I make money and also look at myself in the mirror? I mean, again, this is not a unique Beth Kramer problem. This is a human problem. But yeah, no, I... I'm all for people getting paid for what they're worth. And I'm all for people drawing a paycheck, drawing a profit from their business. Um, it makes you do better work. I think if you're not like paying couples to go to their own wedding, which I definitely did for far too long. So, <laughs> but yeah. And I just wanted, you know, you mentioned about photographers. I want to give a huge shout out. I, I have said this and I, I don't know if it's like actually an okay thing to say, but I am perpetually amazed. I think photographers are like the type of wedding vendor that actually is out there doing like 
I I, like, it's always a workshop or like, if I see a cool talk or like a training, it's always a photographer behind it. And I asked Jamie, I think I asked her on the episode that she came out. I was like, what is it about you photographers that you're like out there, like hustling as far as like workshops and new programs and things. And, um, oh no, it wasn't Jamie. It was another photographer I talked to Rachel Brookstein. And she said, um, oh, it's just because we don't know what we're doing. And I was like, well, you're faking it well, because there's whole genres of other wedding vendors that it's not that we don't know what we're doing, but like, you don't see planners out there running like these huge, like multi-international conferences and all this type of stuff. So anyway, I don't know what y'all are doing, but I'm trying to, trying to do it more myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shout out to those entrepreneurial minded photographers, I guess. Huh? Um, yeah. You were starting to mention Brene Brown. Was that another book yes. that, is there a particular book of hers that you like? You know, I've only read one, Daring Greatly, I want to say. Did I get the right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, I feel so silly. Everybody knows that book and here I'm messing up the title. Um, I read this book on a recommendation from my therapist, shout out to therapy. Um, but I, um, I read it the month that I got married hmm. and it was very relevant for me as I was reading it because it was just like, you know, this whole idea of vulnerability. And I, um, I wrote about this in my own book. It's just like, I didn't know vulnerability was a thing that you could be like living. I thought it was almost like, um, I don't know, maybe an emotion or I had never thought about vulnerability, I guess is the quickest way to say it. And so this, this book, in my opinion, is, is really about vulnerability and how do you, how do you make peace with vulnerability and use this to just open yourself up to greater and better? And how do you dare more greatly by being vulnerable? Um, and that concept kind of blew my mind, which I think is not anybody who, um, anybody who's encountered Brene's work, like I know her, Mrs. Brown's work, um, <laughs> would, um, would know that, um, or like would probably have a similar revelation. Um, and I think it's really changed how I work with clients because as a planner, I really pride myself on like always knowing the thing. I always know the solution. I always know how to put out the fire and you know, I'm not going to lie. I still really try and put up that front because I think it's what people hire me to do. And I, I think a lot of times I can sincerely authentically do it. I, I do have answers. I do have solutions. I'm, I try and be a very positive force in their lives. But I also am trying to be more honest with couples, you know, particularly during coronavirus of just like, this is a shitty situation, you know, and let's just acknowledge that I, I, I don't have great answers for you, you know, and just trying to be more honest and vulnerable about that, because I do believe kind of the thesis of Darren Greatly is, um, you know, that's, that's when you're strong is when you're vulnerable. So that's been a big one for me, too. And I, I have another book of hers I need to read. But I've been dabbling with fiction because I'm trying to escape from reality right now. But I need to go back. I need to go back to nonfiction. I know. Thanks for speaking of honesty and transparency and vulnerability. <laughs> thanks for that. Um, yeah, I mean, sure. The reality, of course, is is honesty, even even to the extent that you alluded to, mm-hmm. saying, "Hey, I don't have it all figured out. I'm not exactly sure what mm-hmm. to do right now." That just mm-hmm. communicates humanness, which enables us to more effectively connect with a client or potential client. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really great reminder. We'll link to both these books in the show notes. Again, bookapodcast.com. Yeah. Or alternatively, some of you may have heard recently, we, we put something together, a resource, Haley put together a resource, bookabookshelf.com, Ooh, cool. uh, where we put some of the more uh, commonly recommended books, such as Brene's. Um, and so for those of you listening in, if you're looking for a book to read, especially while you've got some extra downtime, go take advantage of that, bookabookshelf.com. But I, I want to get into our the, the kind of meat of our conversation about writing photographers simply aren't writers, at least not in most cases. And, you know, I'll be the first one to, to sit, to say I'm guilty in, in that regard, but especially when it comes to writing blog posts, I mean, the, the tendency that we have well, blog posts or even just social media posts, the tendency that we have to be repetitive 
kind of just say the same thing over and over and over again, just for the sake of putting content out there to get the client's images out there. I mean, this is a tendency that that many of us have. What would you say, though, are, I mean, aside from maybe repetition, what are two or three things that you see as potential problems when whether they're photographers or other entrepreneurs are trying to blog that they potentially hurt the reader's experience and ultimately the, the entrepreneur's effort at trying to get their brand out there. You know, one, one quick note on repetition, because I think, I think there's kind of this um, general feeling of, well, if I do a blog, I have to do it regularly. It's like eating my vegetables. I have to do it three times a week or how often do you eat your vegetables? Yeah, but I have to do it regularly. And I don't know. I, Maybe it's because I like am so on this self-employment kick of like, if I'm going to run my own business, I'm going to do it the way that I want to do it. You know, if, if I'm going to opt out of a matching 401k and a super sweet benefits plan, you know, what I get out of that is I get to do what I want and I get to do it within reason, right? Lots of caveats there, but this is what I tell myself. So I, like with anything, it's like I write something on my blog when I feel I have something to say. Um, and right now I feel like I have a lot to say. And if anything, I've been worried that I'm saying too much, but you know, there've been whole stretches of months where I didn't really have anything to add to that conversation. I didn't have anything. So, you know, again, I think I'm a big proponent of regular training. You know, I'm a runner. I I believe in showing up and just doing the thing, even when it's hard. Um, but you know, I think sometimes people psych themselves out and particularly a small business owner. They're just like, Oh God, you know, I I don't have time to write a blog post every day, you know? So is it even worth it? Mm. Anybody who's ever read any self-help book will tell you it's not about, it's just about trying the thing, right? And if you psych yourself out before you even tried the thing, that's when you lose, you know? So just a quick note on repetition, because I hear that a lot. Um, and I've, I've been doing this new thing. Um, I had enough kind of people in my community, in the vendor community in Portland, you know, come to me and be like, hey, I, I want to write a blog. And I know you write. I know you're a journalist because that's all you ever talk about. Um, you know, <laughs> would you be willing to do this for me? And, you know, the first couple times that happened, I was like, oh, you know, plate's full. I don't want to do it. And then I realized that that was, again, talking about egos, kind of my ego, my sense of um, when you're a journalist, you have a byline, right? Like, oh, it's my byline. Okay. It's my words. And then I realized that that was, it was just very self-centered and also really cutting me off from to be, you know, to be about money about it, a, a way that I could also make money in my business. And I'm always trying to think of ways of, of new products, new services I can offer that have value to people, but also that I can continue to grow my revenue. So I was like, you know, what, I'm going to try this. So I started to ghostwrite blogs for vendors. And the reason I mentioned that is not to hawk the service. So of course, please email me. Um, <laughs> but because I have found, I thought this would be really hard. I thought like, oh, these people can't write blog posts because they have nothing interesting to say. Um, yeah, that's not true. I get these people on the phone and they pretty much write the blog posts on the phone call, you know, and I mean, I'm not going to lie. I definitely put work in, I polish things up, the grammar, copy editing, all that. But a lot of times it's exactly what they're saying to me. And it, I thought the first time I did this, like, oh, that person's just like really articulate, but time and again, I've worked with, you know, photographers. I've worked with a woman who makes rings with couples. Um, I've worked with like a huge variety of different people. They are telling me what they should be writing. Mm. So I think my biggest advice for anyone, and you know, I think sometimes with photographers, there's this feeling of like, well, the way that I, I add value, the way that I tell my story is through photos, it's through visuals, and words are not visuals. You know, just brain dump. Just totally write it. If, if writing feels weird, if the sitting at the computer is what's scary, the big blank page, um, record yourself you know, and then transcribe it. You can even do, there's lots of cheap transcription services online. If even that idea of transcribing is mind numbing. And I think you'll be surprised 
and how good you are at talking about your work. So, you know, I would just recommend that. Well, and if I can add further context to this too, because I'm curious to get your take, I guess when I think about repetition, a lot of it is the fact that photographers don't necessarily feel like they have to write a blog post a day. It's more they photograph the client this weekend and then mm. they're going to photograph another one next weekend. And then they mm. have to put out a blog mm-hmm. post for each and maybe a couple social media posts. And mm-hmm. you see so many mm-hmm. social media posts, for example, that start off with, I'm so excited to let you know that, you know, dot, dot, dot. So interesting. And so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I guess in content, in that context, it's not so much, well, I mean, I guess in a way they do have to write for the sake of putting their client's work out there for this, the, the mm-hmm. SEO benefits on their website, the list goes on potentially, mm-hmm. but in that context, Telling, I mean, it, in many cases, weddings are kind of the same story over and over again. Totally. I guess if you dig a little bit deeper, then you could find a more interesting story. Is that maybe mm-hmm. where you would start or what do you suggest? Well, speaking specifically to photographers, what I have found is I think every photographer, it seems like that's such a broad statement. Let me walk that back. What I mean by that is there are probably photos that you think of when you think of like, that was a really good wedding. Mm. Right. There's a, there's a photo, there's a series of photos, maybe there's a couple, there's a situation that you're like, wow, I really nailed it. And what I recommend to people is go to that, right? Go to that. Another way I put this is uh, maybe it's your cocktail hour story. What story do you tell your friends over drinks when they're like, Hey, so how's work? How's your wedding season? You know, did you do any crazy weddings recently? You know I mean? We all get those questions, right? Go to that. And that can feel really counterintuitive because people are like, oh, but gosh, I really got to do that SEO article, right? I really got to write eight ways to smile authentically in a wedding photo. And there's a lot of value to that, you know, because SEO, I know we all, we all live by the algorithm. God, I get it, you know. But I also think that the thing that is going to give you the most energy when you write it is the thing that you already are excited to talk about. So, you know, rather than maybe thinking about every gallery of wedding photos, which I in no way envy photographers who have to upload all that, the load time, the page load time alone scares me. (laughs) But, um, you know, think about which one of those weddings that you've done in the past month or past year, which one are you most excited about and start there. And it very, very well be the wedding that, you know, on the surface doesn't have the most SEO. It doesn't have the most, um, sex appeal, perhaps it's the thing that maybe you're like, Oh, nobody's gonna care about this. But because you're so excited about it, because of whatever nugget, that's going to come through in your writing. And the example that comes to mind is I was working with a photographer on ghostwriting some of her blog posts, and she had a long list of ideas. I think like a lot of people, she had been writing all these notes. And anytime she came up with an idea, and I looked at them, it's probably 12 or 15 ideas. And I said, Okay, which one of these do you like the most? And I not to toot my own horn, I knew which one it was going to be because I knew this woman, um, Marissa Solini, Marissa Solini Photography, great photographer in Portland. And she said, oh, God, I really like this one about love languages. And for those who aren't familiar, there's this idea of five love languages. Mm-hmm. It's how you give and receive love. And I said, yeah, that's it. That's the one. And she's like, well, what about all these ones about like waterfalls? You know, what about all these ones about like eight cool spots in Portland to have your photos? And I said, those are good. You know, those are, those are bread and butter. Those are solid SEO articles. And you could probably add a lot there. You got a lot of great photos. But this love language is one. I've never heard that angle. And yeah, is someone out there Googling love languages at my wedding? Probably not. But what they are trying to find is how do I look good and authentic in wedding photos? And her angle was really interesting. She works with a couple to see how they give and receive love through a love language. And then she has them do those things. And so it loosens people up. So anyway, you know, it's just like, I think people kind of stop themselves. They cut themselves off the past because they're like, oh, it's, this is not the thing that I've seen other people publish. You don't want to publish the thing that other people have published. That's where you win, right? That's what, that's what Google's going to serve is if you're offering something that's unique and adds value to people. 
in my opinion. Well, we're going to have to try to find that article too. I'm even. I'm going to text Marissa right after this and be like, get that live. (laughs) Yeah, that that sounds so compelling. What an interesting, like you said, an interesting angle to go about it. But there are a couple of things that came to mind as you were talking. One, you talked about start with one image and photographers have a tendency of posting many images in a blog post, sometimes Mm -hmm. to just a kind of mind numbing extent, these 7,500 images in a blog post. I'm Mm -hmm. like, what's the Mm -hmm. point? Um, that's a whole conversation in and of itself. But what if, let's just kind of put it out there. And speaking of doing things a little bit differently, what if they were to only push one image from each wedding out there and tell the story behind it? I love it. Rather than starting yeah. with, I'm so excited to share so-and-so's pictures with right. you. It was a beautiful yeah. wedding day. And, yeah. you know, kind of robotically drone on versus have a story behind an image. And then I guess to go along with that, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. What if during the pre-wedding interview, because many, if not most photographers have some type of interview in place, they, they learned a little bit more detail beyond just what's Mm -hmm. the schedule of the wedding day and what type of shoes is the bride wearing? They, they learned a little bit more about the family and then they can tie that story into one of these images that they choose to push onto the blog. I love that. I love that for so many reasons. Um, One of the reasons I love it is because if you're just a person in the world, so you're using the internet, um, you're being inundated with content, right? I mean, how many times have we heard that? So how nice is it that you can offer something to someone, a prospective client or a current client that's just, it's just a breath of fresh air. It's one, maybe two really beautiful photos. And it's your experience as the photographer. And, you know, people are like, well, how does that actually convert into a client? You, without even trying, are showing your expertise. You're showing the level of service you provide. You show how you care for your clients. You're really, rather than inundating people with a million photos that, let's be honest, they've probably seen some incarnation of before, you're highlighting one in particular. You know, and I, I, I hesitate to talk about this on a, on a podcast that photographers um, listen to, but, you know, on my website, I get feedback sometimes from photographers and from videographers that are like, wow, you don't have any photos on your website. Not true. I have a few. You can look under reviews. I have a photo of myself, but that was really intentional by me because I found when I was kind of looking at other coordinator and planner websites that they, I was just feeling so overstimulated when I went to their websites. You know, um, for us, it's a lot of like centerpieces or mood boards, but it's a lot of color. It's a lot of activity. And I, I love color and activity, but I was thinking if I'm a couple shopping, if I'm my husband and I shopping for a wedding planner, I want someone who's not going to immediately tell me what my wedding should look like. I want someone who's just in my opinion, is there to cross T's dot I's and to help me execute the vision I already have. So that's why if you go to my website, I mean, honestly, it's kind of stark, you know, it's it's like blue and white. It's pretty simple. If anything, it has too many words because that's my cross to bear. But you know, there's not a lot of photos. And so I've gotten clients who say, hey, I reached out to you because it was so nice not to be like overwhelmed by my photos. For photographers, I think obviously people are shopping for photos. So don't take that advice, you know, word for word. But I think there's a lot of value in the idea of like, what's like one really good thing that you've done? What's one really good photo that you've done? Because I think people, they appreciate the breath of fresh air. They appreciate the room to process. 100%. Yeah. I mean, to your earlier point, see what the industry is doing, go the opposite direction. Instead of 50 Mm -hmm. photos, do one or two. Mm -hmm. Tell a great Mm -hmm. story about those. Um, again, we could end the podcast right there. If they took and and ran with this idea, there would be significant (laughs) value added. Um, I I want to keep pause, go do it. And then send it to me. I love it. I love looking at beautiful photos. I mean, we have a photo from our wedding, you know, because I think couples, that's what they do, right? They pick probably one or two really beautiful photos and they print that out and they show it. Maybe they have an album. I hope they do because the, the level of quality that photographers produce for 500, 600, 700 photos, like it deserves to be celebrated. But often people are picking like, you know, a handful of photos to to share on their home. 
Um, so I think it'd be really cool to mirror that idea. Like, what's the photo you think this couple is going to frame and show their kids if they decide to have kids? You know, it's a cool idea. Well, the text or the copy that has to go along with that image or couple of images is mm-hmm. what I want to come back to, though. And you actually wrote a post called Wedding Vendors, How to Finally Write That Blog You've Been Putting Off. <laughs> Uh, We're going to link to that in the show notes as well. But I want to use that just kind of some talking points for our listeners today. Of course, we want them to go read this, this blog article and some of the other resources that you've posted there. But first of all, you, you shared five kind of general guidelines as to how to better approach writing a blog post. You started with something um, that I think you alluded to earlier, which is start with a story that you tell your work friends. Can you expound on that idea a little bit? Yeah. I mean, when I started doing this job, right. I mean, I think there's such a novelty to working in the wedding industry. Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just the people I run with, but like when people ask you like, Oh, what do you do for a living? And you're like, Oh, I'm a wedding planner. I'm a wedding coordinator. They're like, Oh, and I usually get two responses. The one that I hate the most is the sexist one, which is, Oh, you must work with a lot of bridezillas. That is a whole different podcast. We do not need to talk about how bridezillas do not exist. It's a horrible (laughs) word. It's another B word to call a woman. Shout out to Um, the teardown podcast. That's right. Yeah. Please, that, that is definitely a theme. I have a whole article about it. Um, but um, then there's also this kind of second of just like, oh, that's interesting. And people light up. They want to know more. And that I think is kind of the beauty of what we do is like weddings make people feel good. Right. And they also can make people feel really bad through the first part of this interview. But they make people feel good. They're one of those things in life that you're like, oh, it's a wedding. You know, it's exciting. That's fun. And so I think that every vendor, you know, whether you've worked one wedding and you may, or maybe you've only, you only quote unquote second shot, you know, I mean, whatever it is, if you feel new, or maybe you've done 300 weddings and you're just a wedding factory and you do them all the time, um, you have stories, you have stories from those days. Um, and just throughout my work, those are the stories I like to tell. Those are the stories that I find people have an emotional reaction to. And so that's kind of what I mean when I say like a cocktail story, what's the story that you kind of go to that you're like, Oh my gosh, let me tell you about, like I had one a couple of weeks ago, I did a wedding. I love talking about how when I used to do a wedding, because right now it feels like I'll never do a wedding again with coronavirus, <laughs> but that's not true. I did a wedding a month ago. Um, a couple had a surprise mariachi band. They had a bunch of friends that this couple had really wanted to have a mariachi band, bride and groom, the bride, um, her mom was from Mexico, her grandma was from Mexico. And so she really identified with her Mexican heritage and she'd really wanted a band. And she'd wanted to surprise her groom with it, but they didn't have the money. But her friends found out about this wish and they arranged it. And so they had reached out to me because they knew I existed. And they said, Beth, how do, how do we do this mariachi band? And I said, we're going to figure it out. And so on the wedding day, the, what the lead friend kind of handed me a lot of $500 cash, which is actually not unusual. People hand planners cash and checks all the time. But it was a lot of money. So I'm stuffing that in my bag. And then this eight-piece mariachi band is coming in the front door of this. They got married in a sports bar. So it's like a very tiny lobby. It's not very private. And the couple, um, they were doing toasts. And the friends were like, we want to do the last toast. And then we want you to cue the band. And I said, okay. So they do their toasts. And, you know, they kind of look at me. And I signal to the band. And they all, you know, they all line up. They start playing. And then the lead trumpet player comes around the corner. And they're all playing. And I watch the couple. And the bride's just burst into tears. The groom throws hands to his face. It's like, that's a story that you tell people. And it's like, they react to that. And so I ended up writing a post about that because I just thought that was such like a good thing. And then the thing that came out of that was this bride's grandma. She had recently lost her husband, the bride's grandpa. They'd been married decades and decades, and Mm. he had died a few months before. And no one expected Abuelita to dance at her granddaughter's wedding. She was in mourning. But this mariachi band started playing, 
And that woman, she just two-stepped right out of the middle of the dance floor. She danced the whole night. She danced with her granddaughter. She danced with all her family. And then she came up to me. And she was so sweet. And she said, one of the band players, he's from my same town. Mm. And he was able to play this song that I guess was special to her town. Um, And it's like, what is the SEO of that story? I don't know. I mean, I didn't make the headline, How to Have a Mariachi Band at a Wedding. But I wrote that story and I sent it out to my newsletter. And I got so many responses of people that are just like, this made me cry. Like, Mm -hmm. this is so exciting. I'm so excited for my wedding. You know, and I just I think that's the stuff we're sharing at the end of the day. Well, and I think for our photographer's reference to my point earlier about finding out some of the backstory behind this family, not just the bride and groom, but some okay. of the, the family associated with the wedding, being aware mm-hmm. of those things and then tying it to an image. Like, I mean, if you know that story and then you see grandma on the dance floor, naturally you're going to go photograph that. So now you have an opportunity mm-hmm. to look for specific images because um, mm-hmm. you probably know this by, by now, but for photographers, photographing yet another reception can get extremely mundane because everybody's, oh my God. this yeah. is more of the Amen. same. So, but if you actually have something to look for in that regard, it'll make it that much more interesting. And then you have a final product for blog content that's going to be significantly more interesting. Um, interesting yeah. again, but that that is a great way to go about it, and great point of conversation. I want to jump to the second one though, because mm-hmm. you point out not only should we start with an inter- interesting story, but we can also write from um, a personal perspective of, shall we say, interest to use the word again, or passion, or or We're otherwise. Very interesting. It we is. can't help it. We're disinterested. <laughs> <laughs> But if we start from something that we're interested in, and and, um, and and actually just to kind of break the fourth wall here, leading up to our conversation, what I said to you was, I, you know, I'm interested in motorcycles. So mm-hmm. if I'm if I somehow tie motorcycles into this blog article, what's the chance that that that's going to be interesting to my audience? How do you how do you yeah. make what you're interested in also interesting to other clients, or is that even a thing? Oh, I think it's totally a thing. I think it totally is. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't think you should go run out right now and write 12 articles about, you know, the the coolest, latest new motorcycle tech or whatever it might be, <laughs> like the gear I have to have. You know, I mean, yeah. if you want to, there's lots of publications that will take that. Um, but, you know, for weddings, but I mean, just having met you, but I imagine there's some type of overlap between weddings and motorcycles. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's you rode a motorcycle to a wedding. Maybe you were able to buy a motorcycle with money you made off of a wedding. You know, I mean, I, I bet there's a tie there, right? And that's where I would start mm. and kind of build that out. Um, you know, of course, as much as I wish I could just write about things that interest me all day. And like, I have definitely had on my story ideas list, a Downton Abbey question mark, weddings question mark story idea for years yeah. have not pursued that because it's probably a little too insular. But I think that there's there can be value in that for people. And I just encourage people not to not to psych yourself out of that stuff. Like, you know, people people want to know what you can offer in that way. They want to know who you are and and what your interests, how they make you a more rounded person um, to ultimately help them because you're being hired to help at the end of the day. And I don't mean that in a, you know, in a in a way that would make people feel bad about that. It's just like, that's what I think we do. We're in a service industry. And so there's a level of service there. Um, but how can we show that we're well-rounded thinking people, we're not robots. And how do we use that to help elevate our work with couples? Well, learning to make association, I think is a, a, at the root of being a good conversationalist or so I'm learning anyway. And mm-hmm. so if we're able to relate a particular incident on the wedding day that we're telling a story about to a personal mm-hmm. experience, I think at, at the very least, and I'd love your thoughts on this, but maybe maybe the kind of compromise and, and ultimately the value for the client in the end is to still bring that back around to them. If we end on the motorcycle, mm-hmm. maybe that's not so valuable. If we are able to make an association and then bring it back mm-hmm. around to the client again, maybe that's a great way to go about it. 
Well, and I think something, and I, I try and fold this into all my work, but particularly my writing is, I think it's very easy when you do, you know, I did 18 weddings last year, which is not like, I mean, you definitely talk to people and they've done a ton more and other people hear that and be like, wow, good for you. But that's, you know, not to brag, probably 18 more weddings than a lot of people in my life did last year, you know, who, who don't work in the wedding industry. So I think when you do that many, it's like, can get easy to just be like, oh, of course, of course, golden hour is a thing. Oh, you don't know that some venues like have really weird rules about trashed, you know, I mean, you, you just, it's because it's a see you swim in. So I always am challenging myself about like, for the couples I work with, often they've never planned a wedding, or if they have planned a wedding, never with this set of circumstances. And so you always have to remember, like, they don't know what they don't know. And that's not in kind of like a parental way, you know, we're not trying to, to be all knowing, and there's a golden tower here, and you just you have to get access. But like, what weird things do we know working in the wedding industry that one are both compelling and entertaining. So you have that element to it, but also like are actually interesting and useful. Um, and so that is really the, the thought behind every piece of content I've ever written or helped on. Um, and so thought behind all those gallery, all that, that gallery of free resources I have. I mean, that's just really naturally like questions that clients ask me a lot. And so if this whole like cocktail story idea, you're listening to that and you're like, okay, that's so nice, but I don't really want to do that. Sounds like a creative writing project. Another way you can kind of start writing, if that's your goal, is just to think about like, what are the questions that people ask me all the time? Like, what are the questions that clients are always asking me? So for a photographer, it might be, you know, should I do a first look? I imagine might be a question, a common question. Um, write that piece, write that answer. And honestly, you've probably already written it. Go back through your emails with couples, copy and paste what you've told them and make that a post. Is it going to be as compelling as my super moving story about the mariachi band and Abuelita and her dead husband? No, it's not. I mean, that's a really good story. I really love that story, (laughs) but it's going to have a lot of value for couples and also huge benefit. You can link to it. You know, you can link to it when the next couple comes around and be like, Oh, that's a great question. I have this whole resource for you. I just did it because I have this really kind of boring but also super helpful article about event insurance, which is like a very common thing planners get asked about because a lot of venues require you have insurance on your event. And so a couple asked me. So I just sent them my article and it saved me, gosh, probably 15, 20 minutes of rewriting that. It made me look super smart because I had it. And it also gets really good search traffic because people are searching that. So it doesn't have to be creative writing. It can definitely be more, you know, just answering questions too. Well, that's really great. And I actually kind of alluded to this idea a second ago, the significance of the audience that you're actually speaking to. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to, can, can you expound on this idea? This is one of the points that you made in your blog post. What does it mean to remember who is reading? How do we more effectively speak to, actually, I guess maybe two part question, make sure that we're aware of who we are speaking to and then more effectively speak their language. So anything that I create for my business I am trying to think about like, you know, what, what value is this adding to my business, right? Like, who am I trying to attract here? For a lot of vendors, that answers couples. I want to get someone who's engaged. And I, you can get really specific. I, I bet a lot of people who listen to this have probably done like the ideal client exercise. Like, who's your ideal client? Who's your ideal lead? That's a super helpful exercise. And you can also use that for your content because you can then think like, okay, if my ideal client is just to paint a very broad stereotypical brush. Um, It's a young woman who is probably in her late twenties, early thirties. She's planning somewhere in the idea of like a 30 to $40,000 wedding. Maybe it's a hundred, 150 people may or may not be at a barn TBD. You know, it's, you can again, kind of be like, what articles would that person be looking for? And that can kind of start you on that path. 
So I feel like I'm totally going off on a tangent. Remind me what, what I was even answering before I went down my beautiful ideal client line. Well, no, I think it's actually quite relevant. Just remembering who you're speaking to and writing mm-hmm. accordingly. Yeah. So if you have that person in mind, that person is going to be looking for something different than maybe, you know, a gay couple that is having a 300 person ballroom blowout affair and is in a totally different part of the world. Right. So I think that idea of who are you speaking to, it can really inform the resources you provide. And it really helps narrow. Like sometimes I read a lot of blogs just in general, particularly on other vendor sites that are trying to talk to everybody. And again, I'm sure anybody who's ever read a book about running your own business, you, you can't help everybody. You can't, you can't appeal to everybody. Um, you know, there's the pumpkin plan is another book that I recommend. That's really focusing on like, what's your pumpkin? What can you grow? Huh, okay. um, yeah. So another one, I think I want to say Mike also wrote that one, but this idea of, you know, who, who can you most help? And then really zeroing in on who to help and help that help those people with the resources that are most beneficial to them. Um, and there can be this really nice loop of like, they, you've helped them, you've given them free advice. They're going to reach out to you. Specificity. I mean, that really mm-hmm. makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. We, we've had, I'm personally experiencing this and honestly trying to live it out with our, our podcast, where this is going to be episode like 379, I think. Um, with, within the last three awesome. years or so. Well, no, the only reason I bring that up is because it's a lot of content and, and we're, I feel like we're just beginning in some ways because there are certain mm-hmm. topics that we haven't really even hit. But what I was getting to is the specificity matters for the sake of longevity and scalability. Mm-hmm. Because if if I were to to sum up the topics that we've covered on this podcast, I could say we've covered maybe 10 primary topics or 15 primary mm-hmm. topics, but we've looked at it from different angles. We've heard from different perspectives. Um, and that has enabled us to be able to be more specific, which means a lot more content, but there's mm-hmm. also just this massive benefit for the sake of SEO. Mm-hmm. And what's been interesting recently, I mean, we've mentioned the coronavirus, but we've been able to, Haley just earlier this week, put together a whole resource, which is what to do during slow season. And mm-hmm. it's a compilation of 10, right. 10 plus episodes that are, that we pr- previously published um, that we're able that. to, that yeah, we'll put that in the show notes yeah. too, but what we've, it's content we previously published that we can share now packaged as almost its own thing. And, mm-hmm. and it adds mm-hmm. value in some way. So I think specificity matters on multiple levels, um, mm-hmm. particularly when it comes to, as you're saying, speaking to a variety of audiences and a variety of contexts. Um, mm-hmm. It's so, so important. And I, and I really love that as a piece of advice. The other thing too, and I, I want to respect your time. We've, we've kind of hit the hour mark here. Um, I'll just I'll just kind of allude to this, tease this a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You you did give a five paragraph template in the blog article. And we're going to yeah. link to this blog article in the show notes. I'm not going to mm-hmm. give away that content. Anybody that's listening and make sure you go to this blog article and we'll link to it, as I mentioned, at bocapodcast.com. Look at that template because I know that the other thing too, that photographers not, um, are, and I'll speak from personal experience. I think we we lack in some cases an understanding grammatically of what it means to write an effective article. And mm-hmm. um, you give a really simple, brilliantly simple template here that we can follow. And I think it would be a good point of reference for our listeners. Oh, hell, I'll give it away. I so appreciate you sending people to my website. It is there. Please use it. I didn't make this up. This is the five paragraph template that you probably learned in elementary school, right? Okay. I mean, I think we all kind of probably started writing like, you know, fourth, fifth grade when you're like given the like, tell us about your pet or like, why do you love your parents? You know, whatever it is. Like when you write that five paragraph essay, that's what this is. Um, And the reason I simplified it is not to dumb it down and not to make it seem like, you know, easy because writing isn't easy. It's hard. It's hard to get the words in your brain down on a piece of paper on a screen. 
that that's why some people are super, super good at it and talented. But for a lot of us, we're just trying to get those words out. We're just trying to be clear. But with a five, with that five paragraph template, it's just a few sentences per, per paragraph. And I recommended that because you can do that. You know, if you've ever written an email, which I would imagine 99.9% of people listening have written an email in their day, you can, you can do this. Um, and it doesn't have to be super clear. You don't have to have the commas in the right place. Just try and get the words down and then you can always polish it up. And I, I'm fun to, you know, I come from a background that like, of course, we really focused on like copy editing, AP style, like, you know, that, that was the sea that I swam in. But I also am here to tell you that if the story is good and what you're saying is interesting, people don't really care so much if there's a typo. They just don't. So, you know, just, just do the exercise. And one of the reasons that I am so passionate about vendors sharing their story is because I have found, you know, admittedly in my short time trying to do this work, that that is the most effective way to change this industry is if people talk about what they're seeing. Um, and I just, that's why I'm like advocating super hard recently. It's like, if you're a vendor and you have a story, please tell it because, if a couple's not going to get value out of it, which they will, because there's not a, there's a huge lack of transparency in the wedding industry, which is part of the reason all this stuff festers and gets horrible. Um, other vendors will get value out of it. I mean, that was the idea behind the teardown. It's the idea behind, I run a Slack channel for Pacific Northwest vendors. It's the idea behind the Zoom calls. It's like, we are all doing this work, but because of the nature of our work, we don't have coworkers. We're all isolated. We're all in our own studios. We're all in our own, you know, working full-time jobs and doing this on the weekend. And so where do we create these places to gather because then you really do realize that like, I'm not the weirdo, right? I'm not the weirdo that like does this for these reasons, you know? Um, and sometimes the people that are doing it for other reasons, they're not bad people. They're not good people. It's just, they're doing it for different reasons. Sometimes they are much more successful at tooting their own horn or having huge followings or whatever it might be. And so it's very easy to think, well, that's the only model for success. And I haven't proven it out. You know, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to be the person that makes millions of dollars on these ideas, but I have found a lot of personal value and I've been able to run a profitable business believing this. So I just really want people, particularly wedding vendors, to know that you have a story, you have a story we're sharing and you should try it, even if it's scary, you know, and it doesn't have to be hard. It can just be something you write and nobody ever sees it, but at least you wrote it. Well, you even say in, in one of those paragraphs in that segment of the article, you said, write down how you start the story. You always tell your friends, don't, and then here's the key sentence, don't sweat the actual language. Mm-hmm. Just write it down. The goal here is to get something, anything on the page. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a good reminder. You mentioned being perfectionist earlier. I'm the same way. And uh-huh. it's been such a good exercise for me as of late to just put out even more content. I don't want to add to the noise, to the, to the chaos out there. At the same time, I know that I'll tend to hold back and as a result, potentially hold back in value that, that somebody might benefit from if I'm mm-hmm. always overthinking the process. So mm-hmm. put it out there, adjust, mm-hmm. pivot if necessary, but, but do the thing. Um, and I think yeah. at, at the end of the day, we just need to do a lot more, certainly within context, certainly with okay. a bit of thought, but just do. Because we have a tendency as, as artist types and perfectionists to overthink things. Totally. About. Well, and I'm a big believer um, in minimal viable product. So this mm. idea of like, what's the easiest, quickest, and often for me, cheapest way that I can do this and still get value out of it. Um, and that kind of bootstrap mentality, I mean, it informs all my work. If you listen to the teardown, please ignore all the horrible audio glitches. I did it through very free software and very limited talents and skills. Um, but that was my, that was just an experiment. And it's one of my perpetual challenges running my business of, you know, how many experiments can I run 
and which ones are worth focusing on and which ones aren't working worth focusing on. And I know that I'm coming from a place of like, well, who's she to talk? She has a journalism degree and she's very comfortable with writing. It's her natural medium to communicate. Um, I know all that. And so this is going to be easier for me than it's going to be for you, you know, and I want to value that. I, if you handed me a camera, the photos I would take would be really, really bad. (laughs) But I still think that because, you know, you're literate, because you've read, because you've written, because you write emails, because we communicate all of the time through text, through emails, through Instagram posts, you can do this. You can do it. And is it going to win a Pulitzer? Probably not. But is it going to help someone and maybe land you a client at the very least give you a resource? Yeah, it can definitely do that. Beautiful way to sum it up. Thank you so much for making time for Thank the Book of Podcast community for adding wonderful value. We will link to your article and resources in the show notes, bookofpodcast.com. Everybody, make sure you go um, follow Elizabeth at Teardown Podcasts. Listen into her show. And then, of course, at Elizabeth Kramer with an S, K-R-A-M-E-R.com. And again, we'll put that in the show notes. Thanks again, Elizabeth. Oh, thank you. I love to talk about this stuff. So thanks for the opportunity. Thank you so much for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit milu, M-I-I-L-U dot com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit photographersedit.com.